All right, welcome to the Apostolic Bible Study Podcast. My name is Brother Asher, and I'm a member of Christ Center Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And today we're going to talk about church unity, what it is and why it's important. So without further ado, we'll pray and dig right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to study your word. I pray that you would anoint our minds and hearts to be able to hear it. And I pray more than anything, Lord, that we would fulfill your prayer that we would be one as you and the Father are one. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, I want to start in the Gospel of John. And I want to start at the tail end of the Gospel of John because there's this passage that starts in chapter 12, chapter 13, And goes all the way through the end of chapter 17 called the Upper Room Discourse. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples on the night that he's betrayed. And he gives them beautiful teachings on the end times. He teaches them on what the Holy Ghost is, the power that they're going to have, what the Holy Ghost has come to do. He teaches them about himself being the true vine. He goes through all these these different topics, but after he's done teaching his disciples on the very night when he's betrayed, so you got to remember this is Jesus' last night with them before he's taken and crucified. After he teaches them all these things, then he lifts up a prayer, and that prayer is recorded for us in John 17. And it's called the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus praying for his disciples and beyond them, all Christians. And he's praying this on the night of his betrayal. And I wanted to read you just a a piece of this so we can understand why unity and why church unity is so vital. This is John 17, starting in verse 20. And it says this, Neither pray I for these alone, But for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So this is an absolutely critical prayer that Jesus prays at the end of what is the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus in all of the Bible. And what is the key thing that he's praying for? He's praying for the unity of his people. So let's dive into this and just kind of seek to understand this passage and why it's important for us, not only in the context of our local church, but in the context of the church as a whole. So we get an idea of how big the kingdom of God really is on earth. So firstly, Jesus doesn't just pray for the apostles here even though that's who's surrounding him while he's praying this. He says this, 
This is John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, that's us. We're the ones that have believed on Jesus through the words of the apostles. If you're a Christian in 2023, the reason is because you've been exposed to the scriptures. You've read the scriptures and they've made you alive and caused you to repent of your sins and and be baptized in Jesus' name and then filled with the Holy Ghost. So the words of the apostles are the very thing that brings us to salvation. So Jesus recognizes that and says, I'm not just praying for these disciples, these apostles, but I'm praying for all who are going to believe on me through their word. That means you, if you're listening to this and you're a Christian. You know, and that ought to bring comfort. Whenever you're discouraged, remember this. Jesus himself has prayed for you. I don't know if you've ever experienced the comfort of knowing that somebody has specifically lifted up a prayer for you and maybe they've told you, hey, I've been praying for you this week. And there's a comfort that comes from that. But to know that Jesus himself has prayed for you, there's nothing Nothing better than that. Hebrews 7 tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And that's why he's able to save us, it says, to the uttermost. He's the great high priest who has appeared in heaven for our sake. And this passage that we just read in John 17 is, you can view it as a window into the intercession that he's now praying because, again, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So Jesus is praying for us even now. Okay, so that's the first point, that Jesus, this prayer is not just for the apostles, but it's for the entire church. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Well, what is his prayer? It's this that they all may be one, that they all may be one. So oneness, unity, this is absolutely vital to Jesus. And since it's absolutely vital to Jesus, it ought to be absolutely vital to us as well. So the unity that Jesus talks about here has many different levels. So just before Jesus prayed this prayer, he also prayed this in John 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them through thy thy truth, for thy word is truth. And so when he's praying for unity, he's praying that we all would be, firstly, one with the apostles and their unchanging truth. So when Jesus came to earth, he he commissioned these apostles, he surrounded himself with them, and after he rose from the dead and ascended on high, he commissioned them specifically. He said, these folks have the message that is going to go unto the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is, the first aspect of his prayer here for unity is that we'd be united with the apostles and with their unchanging doctrine. 
Doctrine is important. Doctrine is really important. It isn't something that we can overlook. So when I say that unity is vital, there is no unity that we can have with false doctrine. It's a sad reality. But in the world we live in, people are so tempted to simply put aside any sort of doctrinal difference and say, no matter what, we're all good people here. We should all just be one. Well, we can't do that as Christians because we have a truth to uphold. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He wants us, firstly, to be unified by the same truth that he prayed would sanctify us just a couple verses earlier. So that's the first aspect, that we would all be one in our doctrine. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Secondly, that we would be one with one another. And this is the key thing that he says later on in this passage, which is so beautiful. He says, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So our unity with one another is a witness to the world that we believe the truth and that we live for Christ. So do you remember in Acts 2 when they're, they're talking about, you know, the Holy Ghost has been poured out and there's, there's plenty of people standing around just kind of mocking and saying these are drunk men? Well, that unity that was had on that day was evidenced by this. Peter stands up to preach and the 11 stand up with him. And they all are fully unified on that day. Even though Peter's the one that preached, all the apostles rose to stand. And so that's a little picture for us of what this unity looks like. We stand with one another as Christians. We've got to. And we've got to learn to put aside any small differences that we may have when it comes to personality or, or kind of the trifling things. We've got to learn to overcome that and be one with one another because our oneness with each other is our greatest witness to the world. That's what Jesus said, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, that they may be one in us. Thirdly, and most importantly, Jesus prays that all Christians would be one in us. Meaning, true unity doesn't just come from having similar hobbies or maybe having the same upbringing or the same background. In reality, and this is hard for us to understand, but you have more unity before Jesus Christ with a persecuted Christian in China than you do with your own lost family members. Think about that. Think about that. Before we can be unified to God's people, we must be unified with Jesus himself. Remember what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, he that is of one, he that is joined to the Lord is of one spirit with him. And what's Paul's favorite phrase or preposition in his epistles? It's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, unified with Jesus. And the unity that is 
present when we get together and we worship together. It's a, it's a unity that the world cannot recreate. And it's a unity that only comes through the Holy Ghost. And it only comes through true prayer. And so, in closing, I want to just talk a little bit about some of the practical ways that we can live out this unity that, that Jesus prayed specifically for us and for the entire church globally throughout time. And the first way is prayer. To pray. To pray for our church. To pray for the saints that are in our church individually, specifically. To pray for the families. To pray for the persecuted Christians that are on earth right now. While we enjoy our freedoms over here, there are countless Christians dying for their faith, even as you listen to this. They deserve your prayers. So prayer is a key way. The second is to be sensitive to what God would have us to do. And there are some people who are better than this than others. I admit I have room to grow in this, but to be able to listen to when God puts somebody on your heart that's specific and to use that opportunity to reach out to them and say, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. That might be the thing that affects somebody's life in a moment where they need it. And that sensitivity is so key. It's absolutely key. You know, when we view each other the way that Jesus views us, the unity is going to come. You know, if I, if I look at my brothers and sisters in the church and said, you know what? Jesus loved this soul enough to shed his own blood for them. And if Jesus is not ashamed of them, how could I be ashamed of them? I'm not going to be slow to embrace them. Remember this, remember this. When Jesus lifted up his prayer that his people may be one, he wasn't just praying for you and for your friends in the church. He was praying for the person that may be a Christian, but you cannot stand them. Or maybe they're just somebody in the church that you don't have anything in common with. Maybe the person who comes across in a way that you just don't appreciate Maybe it's somebody that, frankly, if you didn't go to church with them, you wouldn't mind if you ever saw them again. But here's the reality. Jesus prayed for that person just as much as he prayed for you. And he loves them just like he loves you. So if you can't stand somebody in the church, God forbid you would think that you have better judgment than Jesus. So I want to read this scripture again before, we, before I finish this one up, just so we have an idea of it. It's this, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, 
that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Unity is vital, and we need it, especially in the day that we're living in. So God, help us to be unified and to walk with him as one people. God bless y'all. Love y'all. Y'all have a great night.